Now, I, I think you're absolutely there. I think sustainability is is not a hype. Uh, it's, it's something that is there to stay. Uh, I think uh, companies move from compliance to making it a market differentiator. I think uh, customers basically expect from companies to be uh, to be sustainable, to be responsible. Um, and that goes uh, beyond greenwashing because I really see companies that are intrinsically driving sustainability. Uh, but also, it has become economically viable. Uh, I think if you uh, uh, look to a product, uh, and let's take uh, take a simple cell phone as an as an example, and so a smartphone, uh, it contains labor, it contains a lot of energy, it contains uh, precious metals that uh, that are very valuable these days, so, and are all things that are short because we're short on labor. Uh, we, we talk about uh, sometimes about the labor crisis, uh, raw materials. We we basically have very short some on certain types of metals, and energy. Yeah, I think with the, with the war on, in Ukraine and in the energy crisis. Uh, going on, I think we see, we see the same happening. So if we could reclaim uh, value, reclaim those resources out of this product, which basically is a carrier of those those resources, um, it, it, that becomes economically viable. You're listening to Transform Talks, the podcast about global supply chain transformation. I'm Maria Villablanca, co-founder and CEO of the Future Insights Network, a fast-growing network of over 130,000 supply chain and manufacturing executives worldwide. Now on this show, I'm going to be interviewing and having conversations with some of the biggest names in supply chain and business, where we're going to be discussing topics around digitization, transformation, leadership, technology, business models, diversity, sustainability, and much, much more. delighted to say that joining us this week is Ike LeBlanc, Senior Business Consultant at Forecasting and Planning Specialists, ION. Ike is well and truly a supply chain expert. In fact, prior to joining ION, Ike spent much of his career working for renowned brands such as TNT Express and Philips in a variety of supply chain roles. Now at ION, he's responsible for the successful execution and in-time delivery of supply chain projects related to demand planning and forecasting. And, alongside his role as a consultant, he also finds time to lecture at JADS and Tyus Business School. During this episode, Ika and I discuss many topics, such as the logistics behind Formula One, the importance of being data-driven, and why sustainability has gone way beyond just hype. Hi, Ika. Thank you so much for joining us on the Transform Talks podcast. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk about supply chain management. It's one of my topics I'm very passionate about. When I look at how much time I spend recording these podcasts, I think it's just not enough time. You know, I could spend hours talking to interesting people about supply chain. So uh, I'm sure you're the, you're the same way, but we don't have hours. So I'm going to cut straight into some of my first questions. Um, now, when doing our research, right, um, we stumbled across the fact that you are a huge fan of Formula One. Now, uh, the reason I bring that up is because Formula One is a sport that does rely quite heavily on supply chain, on logistics. So with the depth of supply chain knowledge that you have, has your curiosity ever uncovered findings that have surprised you? Uh, 
Um, I think what is very, very striking of, of Formula One is that it has become a very data-driven uh, sport. Uh, I think uh, it is uh, not only about uh, the car and, and, and the driver, which makes, of course, a lot of difference, but there is an entire data science team behind the, the team that is calculating the tactics, uh, calculating the tactics based on what happens uh, every lap in, in the race. And I think if you go to uh, a supply chain, a supply chain is, is also a series of events that take place uh, with a lot of data that is being generated and uh, making use of that data to take better decisions uh, in real time is one of the key things in a supply chain happens too. And uh, I think uh, uh, if you look to, uh, to a racing car, uh, Formula One uh, season uh, uh, 15 or 16 races or even more these days, uh, you need to design a car that performs well on all the tracks. Uh, having the same construction of the car, eh? but you can change the setup. I think with the supply chain, you have exactly the same. You design your supply chain, so you set up your construct, your chassis for uh, a certain performance, and you need to set up every time for the changing the changing environment for of your supply chain for the for the changes that uh, that happen. But uh, you did your research well. I'm indeed a big Formula One fan. Well, I, I, you know, it, it, there's a parallel here, right? I mean, we're living in an era full of complexity, uh, quick changes. The pace of change is enormous. It may not be the kind of pace of change that a Formula One driver is, is used to, but what you talk about in terms of having availability of data, being data-driven, what is the importance of being that data-driven to gain real-time knowledge in order to build resilience or agility for a supply chain leader? Um, I think data-driven, data if an event happens in industry, you need to reduce the different types of latency that you face. So uh, the first the first latency that you face is the capturing latency. So the event happens, and then before that event is captured in data, is, is capturing latency. And, and if you have captured the data, uh, you need to process it into, into information, yeah, because data is not necessarily information. And that is uh, processing latency of anal analysis latency. And then you have to take a decision. Yeah, and, 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 and based on the, the, the analysis that you've made, a decision has to be taken. And that's the decision latency. And the last one that you have is, and that's probably related to culture, once you have taken a decision, that decision needs to be implemented too. So it needs to be translated into actions that needs, needs to be done. And that's the, uh, the, the action latency that you face. And I think what is the element of data is that with, 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 with processing data, capturing data, with analyzing data, you can basically reduce a part of this latency and you can faster react on what's happened in industry. And I think if you, go back to, for example, the, the, the start of the pandemic, companies that were very early with, with sensing how demand was changing and could react on it, uh, they basically took a big advantage. Yeah, I agree. Uh, now, I want to stay on the cars uh, analogy, continue with this cars analogy while, while we can, um, because I know that you also have published several research papers, especially during your studies. Uh, and one of the topics that you had looked at was uh, vehicle routing, right? So, how much is how much have things changed uh, in since since the time of your research in that area? Oh, also in that area, a lot changed. Um, I think that if we look to uh, the use of algorithms, I think it has been commonly accepted. I think when I was doing research twenty years ago, I think the use of algorithms 
uh, was, it was there, but it was not widely accepted. If you look to the current generation of planners, uh, transport planners, for example, they have, an, uh, they have grown up with algorithms. Eh? They have algorithms on the smartphone that advise them with, with everything. And I think in the past, I think still a lot of the planning was, uh, was manual. Uh, that's one element. Uh, second element, uh, I think also that the uh, computational efficiency, the speed of those algorithms has increased a lot. And when I was doing research and I was uh, making a kind of, uh, uh, at the end of the afternoon, I, I basically left the office and I basically programmed my computer to make calculations during the night. And I was happy when there was no error when I returned in the office in the morning. I think these type of calculations, they, yeah, they are now taking seconds. I think uh, the algorithms have improved, the speed of computers have improved. Uh, it's, it's, it has become uh, has become usable in, in practice. And I think that's a key change. Well, but I think it also it keeps pace with our expectations as consumers have changed as well. You know, if I think back to 20 odd years ago, my expectations, if I ordered something, I was happy if it arrived a couple of weeks later. Um, you know, now we're expecting it in some cities in London within an hour. Uh, of ordering something. So I think definitely supply chain leaders also have had to change alongside uh, the, the, the technology that's enabling this change, right? So, okay, let's talk about change now. That's a good uh, sequence into the word change, because as we all know, as everyone can tell us, the world has gone through some really difficult times lately. You know, we had the pandemic, we had we still are in problems, war in Ukraine, ships stuck in canals, uh, tariffs, uh, you know, there's a huge tumultuous backdrop that's happening around us at the moment. Do you think it's time for leaders to, to embark on or maybe start unlearning old fashioned supply chain models and rethinking supply chain design? I think it's good that you mentioned that, uh, maybe I, I fully agree with you. I think if we if we look back, uh, we come to from a, from a safe world uh, uh, where basically uh, at the end of the Cold War, there was was limited supply for viability. We created demand for viability by creating larger portfolios and increasing the expectations of our customer because we're able to promise them. Um, we uh, had the modern communication means, uh, the world became a village. Uh, and we could basically also uh, focus on cost, uh, outsource, uh, offshoring manufacturing, uh, lean manufacturing, uh, global supply chains became, uh, became the norm. And I think that went very well, but uh, what, we, uh, what we saw in the last two years is that basically turned many supply chains into a house of cards. And I think you mentioned a couple of them. Um, but what you saw happening is that during the pandemic, it probably still was quite a demand disruption. But with the war in Ukraine, I think it shifted towards supply disruptions. Uh, I think there is a shortage of certain metals, a shortage of grains and flour oil, uh, fertilizers. I think there is this whole array of products that we basically are currently short. And um, uh, that basically asked for rethinking for both resilience and for sustainability. And especially the sustainability one was already a topic that was going on uh, way before the pandemic started. But I think in that moment of time, I think it was still a topic that was uh, meeting stakeholder expectations, meeting shareholder expectations. It was not intrinsically motivated. And I think that is something that is currently changing. You know what, Ike? I, I think... When I look back and think of um, the changes that we've gone through, right? Uh, sustainability is a very interesting topic to, to discuss because uh, 
just to give you an anecdote, about 15 years ago, I remember that I organized an event on sustainability and I had to cancel it because nobody wanted to come. People were interested in hearing about it, but nobody wanted to commit to it. Nobody, In other words, as I like to say, nobody wanted to put their money where their mouth was. But do you think now that sustainability has moved away from being a hype buzzword, you know, to actually something that needs to be operationalized within organizations? Now, I, I think you're absolutely there. I think sustainability is is not a hype. Uh, it's, it's something that is there to stay. Uh, I think uh, companies move from compliance to making it a market differentiator. I think uh, customers basically expect from companies to be uh, uh, to be sustainable, to be responsible. Um, and that goes uh, beyond greenwashing because I really see companies that are intrinsically driving sustainability, uh, but also it has become economically viable. Uh, I think if you uh, uh, look to a product, uh, and let's take uh, take a simple cell phone as an, as an example, and so a smartphone, uh, it contains labor, it contains a lot of energy, it contains uh, precious metals that uh, that are very valuable these days, so, and are all things that are short because we're short on labor. Uh, we talk about uh, sometimes about the labor crisis, uh, raw materials. We we basically have very short some non-certain types of metals, and energy. Yeah, I think with uh, with the war on, in Ukraine and in the energy crisis uh, going on, I think we see, we see the same happening. So if we could reclaim. Uh, value, we claim those resources out of this product, which basically is a carrier of those those resources, um, it, it, that becomes economically viable. And that triggers for me also the thought, how do we then rethink supply chains? Because if we need to collect back a product that we have produced, uh, so from the manufacturing side to the point of consumption to the consumer, we also have to collect it back from the consumer uh, back to the location where we are going to reclaim the value, recover the value from it. And we have to make choices there. Uh, I think one of the key concepts is there is that we in an early stage in the return supply chain or the return chain, make a choice how we're going to value recover. Uh, will that be that we're going to refurbish it? Are we going to take out value component, compo components and are we going to remanufacture uh, those and reuse them? Or are we, we going to reclaim material value? And I think there are uh, there are multiple ways, and we have to carefully design, redesign our supply chains for doing so. Um, and that that maybe sounds sounds easy because we have used to do that in, in in certain type of applications. I think the paper industry is driven by recycling clouds. But I was recently talking to a company in, in the chemical industry, plastics industry. Uh, they are actively looking how can we get access to the feedstock of the future, which basically is Plastic waste flows and plastic waste can be recycled in a mechanical way, but there are nowadays uh, technologies which are based on chemical recycling where you basically go back to the molecule level and that uh, uh, recycled plastic becomes technically indistinguishable from, from, uh, from new plastic made out of crude oil. And, and that will be the future. It of course will require a lot of energy. So that will give challenges on how do you go to, to net zero in 2040, 2050, or what the ambition is. Uh, but the, the technology is there, and we really need to think about how to set it up and how to get access to those to those uh, waste flows in order that we are there. And I call it waste flows, but actually there are not waste flows in the future. So they become valuable. They become the new feedstocks. Well, the circularity, right? You know, the circularity of, of the the whole thing is what's, what's going to be the way that we, it's going to be the new norm. It should be the new norm. 
But but going back to what you said just now, I mean, there are quite a lot of pressures at the at the moment. They, we've got supply pressures, we've got demand pressures, we've got workforce pressures, financial pressures, uh, we've got pressures on energy, um, the geopolitical pressures. So how what do we tackle first? What sh- what should supply chain leaders be focusing on or manufacturing leaders? I think we call a lot about uh, pressures now, but I think all those pressures also express an opportunity. Uh, they also express an opportunity to to do things different and yeah? never waste a good crisis in that sense. Uh, and I think uh, because of all those crises, there is a lot of uncertainty. And uh, making decisions under uncertainty is is, is very challenging. Yeah? Uh, people dealing with uncertainty is, is not so easy. Yeah? Uh, 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 humans are notoriously bad in in estimating probabilities, but I think we have to uh, uh, we have to not making a choice is the worst option that we that we can do, and and let's turn it into a competitive advantage and uh, let's consider uh, uh, circularity as one of the elements there, but also uh, redesign for risk resilience because if you go for circularity, uh, you probably need to be closer to your points of consumption. And that also means that you go to a more regional setup. So it, it is strengthening each other there. And um, you typically will see that you have to make decisions there on, on, on different levels, uh, on, on the strategic level. Uh, so when do you position uh, your, your facilities, how you're going to, uh, to, to integrate uh, the different flows, but also on a tactical level, uh, how do you get access to uh, your feedstocks uh, version, but also your feedstocks from, from, from a recycled perspective. And I think uh, dealing with those types of uncertainty, um, I think that requires uh, models, uh, digital twins that can help in supporting those decisions. And I think uh, a lot of the uh, digitalization, the transformation works that have been done at many multinationals, uh, they can be of great value there. See, the thing is, when I listen to you, Ikan, I I think everything you say makes absolute sense, but you make it sound so easy. So what is the impediment? What is, why? What, why aren't we where we need to be? Or, or maybe I'm being too negative, you know, but I, I just feel like I keep going to conferences and I keep listening to people talking about all these great things that we're going to do, yet you see companies being accused of greenwashing, you see companies that are, we're nowhere near any of our goals, you know, so uh, what's the problem? Yeah, again, I would like not to think in problems, but in how to get it uh, get it done. And I think we have uh, enabling technologies that are there to uh, to realize, uh, realize that. I think um, if you look to uh, uh, the, the quality of data that is available in companies that has dramatically improved by all the digitalization and 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 end-to-end uh, uh, planning initiatives. Uh, so there are systems available that uh, contain all the transactional data. Uh, master data was in many cases an attention point, but if you would like to digitalize planning or would like to optimize planning, also the quality of master data has been uh, been been improved. Um, and for, for strategic decision-making, yeah, also let's be clear, uh, the, the better the data, uh, the better the decision will be, but it does not need to be 100%. Uh, there is so much uncertainty that we also have to deal with, with, with kind of imperfectness there. And that's one. Uh, second, what I see is that the, uh, the models, the digital twins that we have in order to support decision-making, so the technology side, has evolved a lot. Uh, you, you earlier asked me about uh, uh, my, my earlier work in vehicle routing and, and the calculation times. 
the same is with supply chain network design. In, in the past, uh, we, we needed to wait hours, uh, if not days, to calculate uh, certain scenarios. I think that is now uh, a matter of, of, of minutes to two hours, maybe still hours, but yeah, it's a strategic question. So how harmful is that? Uh, but we have the technology and it runs and it is, it is smooth. And uh, the third element, and I think that probably is the challenge, is having the capability, uh, is having the people. And, and, and there is I, what, where I see one of the key challenges at the moment. And so I see a lot of tech-savvy people that basically understand the algorithms. But what I also see, and, and that's what I see at my work at the university, is that we need to train people to translate um, that tech-savviness into business understanding, yeah, to make this, 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 this bridge to be the analytics translator. And I see that many companies are struggling with that. And um, if you manage as a company to set up a kind of center of excellence with data scientists that can do these type of supply chain studies, um, then there are people that are in high demand. They, they are unicorns. Yeah? They're good in project management. They're good in data engineering, which is very important. They understand data science, the algorithms. They can give good presentations. They can interpret the results. They're unicorns. They're in high demand. So they have career opportunities, uh, to uh, many career opportunities. So they easily leave. Listen, you've touched upon something that is really, really, uh, you know, uh, it's hit a nerve with me because I have encountered this many, many times, which is people that are what I like to call book smart. You know, they are very good at the knowledge about a particular area, but the theoretical uh, or even theoretical, but the application, the practical application as it applies to the end to end business strategy you know, and, and is, is you're absolutely right. Finding people like that is rare, which is why you see, and again, this is my theory, why you see a lot of digital transformation pro uh, problems happening is because the technology is being adopted without looking to solve a commercial problem or a problem for the, for the business. So you're right. We've got to try to get more of these unicorns, more people that have practical applications from a commercial perspective for the business, not just the technological bit. So no, sorry, I had to interrupt you because I had to get it out there and say that you've hit on something that I think is very vital. I absolutely support you there. I see a lot of data scientists that are trained on the expert side that love to, to experiment with, with, with the greatest technologies in, in machine learning. But in many cases, machine learning doesn't make sense than a simple time series perform as well. Uh, but it depends on the application. And I think that requires business understanding to differentiate where does it make sense, where does it not make sense. And you really need to understand what you're talking about. And uh, otherwise you start to, it becomes really abstract and, and then you can uh, basically apply it on everything. But the, 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 the risk of drawing wrong conclusions is extremely high. And, and if you talk about strategic questions and then drawing wrong conclusions or giving wrong advices, yeah, it's not what you want. Uh, I'm going to ask you another question because looking at your Twitter bio, yes, I, we did our research here. So we looked at your Twitter bio. We noticed you had you had a famous quote by uh, polymath Albert Schweitzer. Now the quote roughly is something like, I, I've learned to act for myself, to look the world straight in the face and to confess this is my work. Okay, why that quote? And, and, and how does it apply to this, the work that you're doing? Um, for me, that quote reminds me of being an independent mind, being an independent person. And that independence is very important to me in, in my daily life uh, as a consultant and be critical in everything that I do. 
So I would like to be independent to say what I, I need to say. And it can be that my, uh, uh, my customer doesn't like what I say, but I've given my, my fair opinion on what, what, my, what my message is. And, and that's the same with, uh, uh, that, that's basically what comes out of this quote for me. So it shows independence, it shows the freedom, it shows the freedom of, of mind. And uh, yeah, that, that, that drives me. I agree with you. So let's talk about the future for a second. What what does the future look like for supply chain? I think the future for supply chain uh, is that we will further strengthen digitalization initiative with a human touch. Uh, the company I work for, ION, we always call it the human touch. Uh, I think uh, processes are important, dis- uh, systems are important, data is important, but at the end, humans that win the process. And I think one of the key additional factors that we will see is that uh, it's not only uh, driven by, uh, by, 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 by profits, uh, it's also driven by sustainability. Uh, so having a meaningful supply chain, uh, I think that becomes important, becomes important too. And um, to link that to Arch's strategy, I'm a big fan of the Tracy Wiersema matrix, where you basically have three types of value, value strategy, operational excellence, where you basically go for a decent product against a, a low price, a customer intimacy, where you have a decent product where you basically would like to deliver the best possible, uh, possible service, or you go for product leadership, where you basically have the best possible product and you have a decent service against a decent, uh, decent price. And what I believe is that it is time to think about a fourth dimension. And this fourth dimension of this fourth value strategy should, in my view, be uh, environmental stewardship. So taking care for, for, for environmental, uh, taking sustainability seriously. And I think uh, Patagonia, I think recently in the news is a nice example of that one. I think uh, Fairphone uh, could be another one. But you also see more companies that really start to look into this area. And I think if you start to drive your supply chain based on sustainability elements, you will take different decisions. You will take uh, other decisions than when you do it on based on those, uh, those other three. So that's one of the things that I think we will change. And we will have a, a direction towards uh, towards this. And you could argue that sustainability probably is a product characteristics, but I think that's too narrow because also on, on, on the manufacturing footprint, it will impact and it will also impact in, in how you deal with your customers. So the customer intimacy side is also impacted. That's for me the pledge to make uh, to make the fourth uh, value strategy in the framework. And, 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 and we play with, with our customers uh, sometimes business games where we basically explain uh, uh, this type of, of value strategies. And what we experience is that if you play it in two rounds, uh, one with the normal uh, value strategies um, and, and one with, with, with sustainability and, and it's a sourcing game, is that you see that there really come different decisions out of it. And it's kind of sometimes eye-opening to see this happening. So sustainability becomes an essential element in, in, in every value chain. We are going to explicitly design supply chains for it, next to risk resilience. I think I think you're absolutely right. I mean, in the in the world that we're living in right now, risk and resilience is definitely something that we need to build into our supply chains. But the sustainability element, as as consumers start to vote with their wallets, you know, and, and indicate the kind of companies they want to work with, or whether as employees or as shareholders, investors, or as customers then I think companies that are not investing in real tangible sustainability change are going to be, are going to lose their competitive advantage. 
Uh, now, Ike, I want to thank you. That's all the time we've got. I want to thank you for being here. I want to thank you for sharing your thoughts and for contributing. And I look forward to maybe chatting with you again to see what else is happening. Thank you, Maria, for having me. And it was, it was a nice conversation. I enjoyed it. Good, I'm glad. Thank you very much. And for those of you listening, we'll catch you at the next one. Thank you.